0: Hello, my friend, welcome back to the club. How are you today? Happy Easter to you. He is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. What a glorious day. I can tell you that this came very close to our family and our hearts this week because my father-in-law passed away a few days ago and nothing is more clear about what's important than at the end of one's life. And it's about the people that you love, and it's about Jesus. You know, knowing that we will all be reunited in heaven because of Jesus is everything at a time like this. It has brought us so much comfort this week. My husband, his mom, and his sisters were able to be with my father-in-law for the last few days of his life. My husband held his hand, read scripture over him, and just reassured him over and over that we would be okay, you know, here and that we would see him again in heaven. And it was shortly after that that he passed and it was very peaceful. He actually died on my daughter's birthday. And while that was sad, I told her that, you know, he's now her special guardian angel and that we're celebrating her life and Dad Dad's new life in heaven. And she actually said that the same thing happened to one of her best friends, that the grandfather died on her birthday. And then one of my friends was commenting that something similar happened to her mother on her birthday. And I just, you know, I just don't think these things are coincidences. And that's because of my faith and my deep conviction of knowing that there is life beyond death because of Jesus. And truly the glory of Easter Sunday has been such a light for us this week. And I'm just feeling feeling this Easter so profoundly in so many ways, so many different emotions, but mostly um, it is just pure gratitude, um, pure gratitude. And so um, I'm thankful, thank you all for your prayers. Um, I've gotten all kinds of lovely messages this week and I'm just very grateful for you too. Well, today, My plan was and is and what we're gonna talk about is how God made food. We talk about food all the time here. Have you ever really thought about how it's made? Did you ever consider the fact that God could have made us without the need for food? I mean, he could have designed us any way he wanted and that could have been with bodies that run on air, but that is not what he did. Part of what makes us human is our need for food, real food that he made. And I think this is important to point out because there are powers that be in the world that try to make us more and more independent of God in many ways. But one of those ways is food. Uh, Bill Gates happens to come to mind (laughs) with his push to get everyone to eat synthetic meat, which, you know, non-coincidentally, he's a big investor in. and it's kind of like, I don't know, these people are trying to be God, thinking they can fabricate food better than our creator. But there is only one God, and he made us flesh and blood and with the need for sustenance from his creation to live. These earthly bodies need earthly grown food to be healthy. And there is responsibility, stewardship, and dependency on God and to God tied to that. We honor ourselves as God creation when we eat the foods he's given us to eat. And so food makes us human and connects us to our creator. And that in and of itself is so important. And the Bible tells us that we are made from the earth, right? Genesis 2, 7 says, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So we are formed from the dust of the ground. But we are also made from the earth by the food that we eat. Because our bodies literally use the food we eat to make new cells, to make our body. Our bodies are mostly made of carbon, hydrogen and oxygen and some nitrogen. Those are the main elements and those are all found in food. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But if you think about it, you know, the food that we eat making our cells it becomes pretty important about your choices. Because if your cells are made of Mountain Dew and donuts and Doritos, that's gonna be a problem, right? Where are the vitamins and minerals? Where are the essential amino acids? Where are the essential fatty acids? They are called essential for a reason. Where do they come from? They come from real food the way God made it. And if that's not what you're eating, your body's gonna start breaking down. It is the most basic yet overlooked fact of our physiology. I really started to appreciate this. The more I started connecting all of these dots in the way that our body is made in relation to creation, as I like to say, and you can be a nutritionist and never make these connections that we're talking about today. Okay. And this is why it is so important. And this is the love of what I, what I do. It's my absolute favorite thing to study and to teach. As you know, a few years ago, I felt like God put this idea of the Genesis prescription on my heart, the idea that everything we need to know about good health is right there in the book of Genesis and the creation story. And I have been continually awed by how that simple framework has turned into a beautifully fleshed out and rich approach to understanding our body and our health. So much so that it has turned into eight very in-depth modules of curriculum for our Christian Health Practitioner Program in the School of Christian Health and Nutrition. That program is actually nine months, but the last month is teaching how to work with clients. The main eight modules, sun, water, earth, food, breath, rest, movement, and fellowship, reveal the absolute wonder and glory of our creator. And you find all of that right there in the book of Genesis. And you can't help but be humbled and in awe when you understand the purpose, the intention, the Intricacy, the benevolence of the way God knit the universe and our bodies together. We had one student describe it as academics meets worship. And that really feels true. You know, learning about all of this has made me feel closer to God, has made our students feel closer to God, and just be in awe and praise of Him, um, knowing all of this and putting all this together. So today I wanna give you a taste of that and the opportunity to be in awe and appreciation alongside of us about the way God made food and made our bodies. And so the first thing to understand is that God made sun, water, and soil, the earth, before he made food, because you need those things to make food. Order is very important here when we talk about the Genesis prescription and and the way that our body is ordered. so those things come before food, and the first foods that were made that God um, ordered to be made were plant foods. Plant foods are at the base of all nutrition. So let's read, um let's read that scripture. Genesis 111 through 12 says, Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with the seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And Genesis 1 says, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. Okay. So I think it's that, um, I think it's why so many people think we should be plant-based because plants came first and Adam and Eve lived in the garden, right? And I've talked about this a lot in, in many podcasts, this idea of plants, plant foods versus animal foods. But the bottom line is God gave us both, right? Genesis 9.3 says, everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. If God didn't mean for us to eat animal foods, he wouldn't have given us them and we went and see them as food throughout the bible people assume plants are better for you and more nutrient dense but that's not exactly the case we need food from both the plant and animal kingdoms each have their strengths but let me explain the hierarchy and kind of how more about how they're made to give you a better appreciation and understanding and a little mind blowing okay you ready so plants are what are known as autotrophs they make their own food auto, self, you know, they make their own food. They don't need to eat other things. They are producers, they are not predators, which put them at the bottom of the food chain. Plants are at the base of all food and nutrition. Animals and humans, on the other hand, are heterotrophs. We cannot make our own food, which means that we have to eat other living things, all right? Now, some animals are designed to eat plants only, we know those as herbivores. Some are designed to eat animals only, those are carnivores, and some are designed to eat both, and those are omnivores. We are animals, (laughs) humans, that are designed to be omnivores, which means God created us to eat food from both the plant and animal kingdoms. So humans eat plants, animals eat plants, and when you think about it, Even animals that eat other animals, so carnivores, are eating animals that have eaten plants. Carnivores eat herbivores. So when we eat meat, we are eating food from an animal that has relied on eating plants. Okay, you with me? And because animals graze and browse on different species of plant life, they accumulate a wide spectrum of nutrients, wider than we could, right? Because we cannot eat as many plant species as as animals can. Um, And unlike plants, which are limited in the way that they can store nutrients, and that's based on their root length, animals have big bodies, you know, and they have this bigger capacity for storing nutrients. So this means animals are often a more concentrated source of nutrition, especially of amino acids and minerals, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But this is what makes foods from the animal kingdom so highly nutrient dense and an important part of the human diet. You know, plants nourish the animals, which in turn nourish us. It's the beautiful design of our creator. And it just highlights the importance of the fact that we want to be eating um, animal foods and and animals that have eaten their God-given diet too, right? Cattle eat the grass, and then they turn that grass into nutrition. We're getting that through the animal, so we want the animals we eat to eat what God intended them to eat. But let's talk about how plants, the base of all nutrition, even become food. All right, so we got to step back into into little middle school science land you know, when we learned about photosynthesis. But if you were like me, you were daydreaming and doodling on your paper instead of paying attention during that unit. Because, <laughs> you know, it was like, uh, what does this have even anything to do with me? What does photosynthesis have to do with me? Uh, frankly, I didn't think it had anything to do with me until a few years ago when I was learning all this. And it turns out it has a lot to do with you. Certainly more than you can wrap your brain around as a, a teeny bopper, right? So it's okay, we're gonna revisit it now in case you weren't paying attention either. So by definition, photosynthesis is the process of plants turning light energy into chemical energy, which means they turn sunlight into food, which is just amazing. Plants are storing sunlight, which becomes our food. So it's like we're eating sunlight. They use carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen, plus the energy, the power of the sun, to make glucose, which is sugar, okay? And that is what the plants use for their energy and their growth. That, like we said, the plants are autotrophs. They, every, all living things need energy, okay? And so the plants are getting it from the sun, um, turning the carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen into this sugar, which is what gives the plants energy for growth. Now, they store the extra sugar that they make as carbon bonds, as these bonds of carbons that we know as carbohydrates and fats. Aha, (laughs) which are the sources of energy that we use as humans. We know carbohydrates and fats are what we use for energy. We use protein for something else. We will talk about that in a minute. All of this happens by the power of the sun. The plant is storing the energy of the sun, which becomes the energy for our body. It's like, I'm just utterly fascinated by this, okay? Um, Like I said, it's like basically we're eating sunlight when we eat foods grown from the earth. And I need you to hold on to that concept, to that idea, because we're gonna come back to it and there's more to that. But I wanna talk about the third macronutrient, protein, um, and where that comes from. Plants make protein by absorbing nitrogen from the soil, okay? They also absorb other really important minerals that we, um, we need for our body, that are critical for our body. But the plants use the nitrogen that they get from the soil to build amino acids, which create the protein. You know, amino acids are the protein that humans use to build body structure. So the plant is using it to build their structure and it has that the protein within the plant and humans use protein, the amino acids from protein, to build our structure. You know, amino acids are known as the building blocks of the body. I like this quote from Dr. Ted Naiman who says, in very simple terms, All of your carbohydrate and fat energy come from the sun, while all of your nitrogen and minerals for protein come from the earth, okay? Pretty cool. And as I mentioned earlier, plants are limited in their storage, you know, what they can store kind of based on their root length, and animals have this bigger capacity for storing nutrients. And so when we're looking at protein specifically, Animals are a complete source of protein because they have the eight essential amino acids. These are, we have, there's a 20, there's 20 amino acids. Eight of them are essential. They're called essential because our body requires them. And the only way we can get them is from eating them. Okay. And animal foods have all of those eight essential amino acids present. So they're considered a complete protein, whereas plants are considered incomplete proteins because they do not have all of those eight essential amino acids. Now you can combine plant foods to get all of those, those essential amino acids, but you end up eating a lot of carbohydrates to do it. And we know that carbohydrates turn to sugar in the body and also extra carbohydrates get stored as fat in the body. So we gotta do a little cost benefit analysis here because you'd have to eat three cups of quinoa to get the same amount of protein or amino acids that you'd get in three ounces of steak. So we're talking over 600 calories versus 173 calories. And that is just way too much energy when you can get your amino acids so much more efficiently and at a lesser calorie or energy cost by eating the animal protein. So those are our carbohydrates, fats, and proteins made of carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen, which are the four most abundant elements in the human body and account for more than 99% of the atoms inside of us. And where do we get those? We get those from God's creation. We are made of creation, sun, water, air, and soil. So I wanna circle back to that concept of how the plant stores energy from the sun, because this is a really cool thing. So we had to get nerdy again, okay? So just hang with me. During photosynthesis, the sun's rays so those those sun rays are absorbed in the chlorophyll of the plant okay and specifically in the electrons from now remember i've done a whole podcast on the electron diet and how important electrons are and so the sunlight is absorbed in the electrons of the chlorophyll in the plant now you got to understand that the rays of the sun the spectrum of sunlight is different there's all these kind of there's all of these different energy waves, okay, that come with the sunlight, and they they are different based on region, time of the year, season, all these things. In certain parts of the world, the sun is stronger and has more intense um, light energy than other parts of the world, like say the tropics, right, where we know the sun is really strong. There's a lot of intense light versus like the Arctic, right. And seasonally, so that's location, but seasonally the sun's rays change too. You know, in summer time the light is longer and more intense, and then we know in the winter time light is shorter and less intense. You know, you hear like you can't get as much vitamin D in the winter time. You don't get much of that UVB because the light is different in the winter than it is in the summer. All right, and that is why um, more plants grow in these warmer months, in the late spring, summer, and early fall, right? Than they do in the times of less sun, the late fall, the winter, or early spring, because there's just less sun intensity, right? And so as we're talking here, since it takes the sun to convert all of this carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen into food in the plant, you need really strong sunlight to do that. And so that's why there's less plant life in these um, times of less sun. All right. Now, this is where it gets really neat. The plant stores these, this sunlight, the sun energy, okay, it stores the sun's light waves, these photons of the sun, specific to the time and place they were grown. You know, so sun, so plants that are in the tropics are storing that really strong, intense UVB light inside of the plant, okay? Um, Essentially, the sun leaves a light code in the plant that connects it to place and season, all right? And so it's just, it's all about where the plants grown, the time of the year, the intensity of the sunlight. And so the plant is storing that information. Sun, the sun is giving, gives information, okay? During metabolism, which is basically the reverse process of photosynthesis, which is also so very cool when you understand it. Um, photosynthesis is is the making energy, right? It's making that energy, using the sun, building up that um, that plant energy, the carbohydrates, the fats. And then the metabolism, the process of metabolism is breaking that down, breaking down the energy so that we can use it. So metabolism is, Metabolism is getting the energy out. Basically, it's getting the electrons out of the food that we eat to make energy, to make the fuel that we call ATP that runs our body. It's running you right now, the way that you're listening, or maybe you're driving, you're walking. Our body uses energy to do all of those things. Okay. So Remember that, you know, that light code is stored in the electrons of the plant. And so as our body is extracting these electrons from the food that we eat during the metabolic process, it's receiving, it's reading information from that light that is stored in the plant. I know this sounds crazy, but there, <laughs> but it's true. And that plant, so that that information that's coming out of the Um, the energy from the sun is is informing our body and trying to help orient our body to time and place. It's giving our body information about where and when that food was grown based on the sun energy of of where and when it was grown, okay? And so why does this matter? (laughs) You're like, okay, great. This is weird. And also, why does this matter? Well, it matters because this is where eating seasonally and locally comes into play. Because when that electron information from the food doesn't match the electron information that you're getting from the sun, it's confusing to your body. As I've explained in another podcast, the sunlight you get through your eyes and your skin informs your body about time and place. This is circadian rhythm. Circadian rhythm is so critical to health. This sunlight is information to your body. And that information tells your brain about how to work your body through the day and through the night. It's like telling, when, telling the hormones when to work, telling your organs when to work, including, including your digestive organs and, and your metabolic function. So when a person in Minnesota eats watermelon in January, she is definitely giving the body mixed signals. Because watermelon is a food grown under intense UV light, right? During the summertime. And so when that person is eating watermelon at a time in the winter with low UVB light, okay, that she's receiving from the sun, so, you know, that person is in winter time, and the body is very aware of that because of the, the sunlight that it's getting through the eyes, through the skin. Your body reads that information. Your body has to know where it is in time and space, right? And that is what orients your body, is your, um, your circadian rhythm and the sunlight and grounding and all those things. And so when the body is getting that information through the sun, uh, from the sun and the eyes and the skin, and it's saying it's winter, but, but that person's eating watermelon, which is telling the body it's summer, that body's getting mixed signals. And that is confusing to the body. Okay? Remember last week, we talked to Dr. Johnson about fructose, which should mostly be available in the summer and early fall. Why? Because that is when the sun is at its strongest. And the availability of that fructose is a signal to the body. It says, eat up while you can. Winter's coming. There's not going to be much of this around for long. Okay. And as we discuss, and I've discussed here many times, this this is kind of the blur. It's the blessing and the curse of now we have all of this food available 365, 24-7. So we don't think twice about eating watermelon in January if that's what we want, because it's there and we can have it. But before the onset of food globalization, and for most of history, people had to eat what grew regionally and seasonally. And, you know, in modern times, we have every food available to us at any time of the year, but people forget it didn't used to be that way. I mean, people in Alaska, they didn't get to eat bananas. People in China didn't get to eat avocados. People in South America didn't eat Brussels sprouts. People in Germany didn't eat coconuts. Okay, there was not all this importing and exporting and flying around of foods the perfect diet was the one that god set before you psalm 104:27 says all creatures look to you and you give them their food in due season now people who are you know mostly metabolically healthy you know eating watermelon in january is not going to break the bank okay But for someone who is leaning into these metabolic syndrome, symptoms like obesity, high blood pressure, high blood sugar, high triglycerides, it's going to be more of a problem. And it's not going to help the problem because our metabolism is supposed to work in sync with nature along this what we call an infradian rhythm. So we've learned that circadian rhythm is the way our body works according to a 24-hour cycle. Infradian rhythm is the way our body works according to a longer rhythmic cycle, such as a seasonal cycle. So we have seasonal infradian rhythms that impact our biology in the same way circadian rhythm does, especially when it comes to the metabolic process our metabolism is built to work alongside seasonal cycles. Some people call this a circa annual rhythm. Um, but there, there are real biological processes that occur or are supposed to occur based on these seasonal rhythms. Weaker UV sunlight, you know, in the fall and winter months detected by our eyes and skin signal our body to shift into more of a winter programming mode, which involves conserving energy, you know, holding on to a little more fat, slowing down the metabolic process, just like the bear we talked about last week. Like I said, no one has to say, hey, bear, winter's coming. You better eat the house down and slow your metabolism. And we can call it instinct. We can also call it the way God made the body work to relation and creation. Our bodies do not engage in such extreme shift as the bears do, but to think our bodies don't respond to the signals of our environment is one of the biggest missing pieces of our healthcare. And this is why we teach this in the School of Christian Health and Nutrition, because these inputs from our environment are so important. And food is one of these inputs, you know, Plant foods, we talk about how important it is for our body to receive the sun. Plant foods are another vehicle for delivering sunlight, which offer us energy in the form of sugar and fat. Um, but what, really what our body is after is are these electrons, okay? Like I said in that Electron Diet Podcast, our bodies are meant to be in a net negative charge, meaning we need more electrons than protons. And we can get those by getting in the sun, uh, by grounding, by producing our metabolic water, our easy water, and by eating real food the way God made it. Okay. It is also important to note that on a circadian level, food, which is our 24 hour cycle, food informs our body about the time of day. We are meant to eat during the daylight hours. I like to say we're supposed to eat with the sun and the sun. You eat when the sun is out and you eat with Jesus at your meal, giving thanks for the food before you. And one of the main reasons it's so important to get morning sunlight into your eye is that it tells your brain, okay, what time of the day it is. And then your brain tells your organs, all right, it's time to wake up and get to work. This includes your digestive organs and your your daytime gut bacteria, because yes, we have gut bugs that are supposed to work in the day and bugs that are supposed to work at night. And this is one of those missing pieces for people with digestive issues. Sunlight in the morning and food during the daylight hours, we've got to get our bodies right, realigned, re-synced up with circadian rhythm. So our body has this sense of order about it and knows when everything is supposed to be working at the right time. Okay, this, you know, helps our digestive system get working right when we are aligned with our circadian rhythm. Also, our metabolism, for people who are more metabolically challenged, it is better to have an earlier feeding window, meaning breaking that overnight fast earlier in the days, so maybe sometime in the morning or late morning rather than waiting till lunchtime because it helps reinforce that circadian rhythm. Okay, food is one of the inputs of circadian rhythm. The three main inputs are sun, sleep and food. So food is also telling our body about what time of the day that it is. And it helps regulate um, not only just our digestive function, gut function, but also helps regulate our metabolic hormones like leptin and ghrelin, you know, which are hunger signaling hormones. We'll do another podcast on that sometime soon, some of these hormones at play. But for today, I just wanted to give you a greater sense of an appreciation for how God made food, how he designed it to work in our body. And it's just, it's so amazing to me. And maybe I'm a big nerd, but it makes me feel closer to God to understand this. You know, what a magnificent creator we have. What an amazing savior we have. Food connects us to our Creator in such a bigger way than I think any of us realize, have thought about, or taught. I mean, I can't say sitting back there in middle school science class if they would have made more of a connection to, you know, how this meant how this related to my body and my metabolism. I don't think I would have appreciated it at that point. but I sure do now. And it's so much bigger. And I always say, I mean, we have such this little, little view into food. And we look at it as, um, you know, making us fat or skinny or um, this is good, this is bad. We look at it as calories and um, just macronutrient ratios. And there's just so, such a bigger picture of the way that we need to look at it and to appreciate it and to utilize it, and to know that food connects us to our creator. And so I hope today's podcast makes you look at food in a new way, at your body as a part of creation in a new way, and at your creator in a new way. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a healthy and blessed week, and I will talk to you soon.